Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of our Ketosis Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Burr, Content Marketing Editor here at Ketosis. Today, we're talking with Olivier Katib, who is the CTO and co-founder at Sensefolio. Hi Olivier, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you so much for being on. Would you be able to start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your position at Sensefolio? Yeah, sure. So basically after a master's degree in, uh, in business management and uh, afterwards a, a master's degree in computer science, I've been working in the past few years in, in the financial industry and more particularly in the asset management space. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to see and know what were the trends that asset managers were starting to develop and implement. Uh, so I've noticed that two main topics uh, and also buzzwords were in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've noticed that it was firstly mainly about machine learning and secondly about environmental, social and governance topics. Mm-hmm. So AKA ESG. Um, so it, by Getting the by gaining this experience, I would say I've started uh, looking deeper into it with my brother, and uh, we thought there might be some interesting research to do in ESG by using uh, some advanced machine learning techniques as well as some natural language processing, aka NLP techniques. Cool. Yeah, so it's really interesting to have you on because we haven't touched on the ESGs yet, even though you know they're like you said, it's a huge buzzword in. Uh, in investment management today so when you started thinking about founding your company a few years ago what were the main pain points that you saw in the industry which made you want to help people by setting up sense failure yeah that's a quite a good question actually because i would list um i would say three main pain points mm-hmm. uh, so firstly that it was it's basically the, the wide range of ESG data providers were significantly different from one to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that you can have very different ESG viewpoints for a certain company, depending on which data vendor you have adopted. Uh, so this was clearly not robust enough. Uh, secondly, I would say the fact that there is no consistent and once again robust ESG framework in the industry. Mm-hmm. Everyone is kind of doing what it is, uh, uh, thinking is good and I mean, you have so many different ESG frameworks in the current industry. Mm-hmm. And finally, uh, I would say the fact that most data vendors were relying on a very biased and subjective view of ESG for companies. So, for example, most vendors are still relying mostly on companies' ESG reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's clearly not adequate as companies are obviously going to promote themselves and talk only about what they're supposedly doing while hiding what they're doing badly, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, uh, therefore I just wanted to have not only a very robust um, ESG framework, but also have a very unbiased and um, also complete objective view of on companies by aggregating as many different sources of information as possible. Mm-hmm. So take, um, take what companies say, but also take what external stakeholders are saying. Uh, so we wanted a really 
to give a neutral and completely unbiased view of those companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome, actually. Just sticking on, you know, the way that you gather information. Um, your platform is really unique in its kind of advanced tracking ability of databases. So can you explain to our listeners exactly how Sensefolio collects a wealth of data and research to calculate an ESG score? Yeah, so the rationale of getting as much information as possible is really to get the most neutral view on companies. Um, so as much as, as much as much as possible. So we are aggregating not only companies' ESG and annual reports, uh, but also companies' news, uh, social media posts, as well as uh, company reviews websites. So you have those websites where current and past employees are basically putting reviews. So it's always good to have views from um, internal stakeholders' uh, point of view, such as employees, but as well as external stakeholders, you know. Mm-hmm. So we were aggregating all of these texts, et cetera, and read them all using quite sophisticated machine learning and natural language processing methods to perform some, for example, sentiment analysis and topic modeling out of it. Mm-hmm. And finally, we combine ev- everything by following our internally developed ESG frameworks that is trying to uh, catch as many ESG topics and metrics as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's been a it's been a work of uh, more than four years, actually, uh, with uh, algorithms constantly improving as we speak. Uh, so as of today, we have been aggregating more than 100,000 uh, different sources of information. Wow, that's really cool. Um, and on this topic of machine learning then, which you must have picked up from your, your days as a computer scientist when you're at university, um, you know, it's an idea that people in the financial services industry see as an idea, but they don't implement it into practical use. So as a CTO, what improvements have you noticed in the way that machine learning has advanced in the past few years, if it has at all? Um, Well, firstly, I would say machines and the processing units have greatly improved. Uh, Plus the offering is much greater than what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So n- nowadays you can run very complex and powerful machine learning algorithms on big, on big data that you have internally uh, using the Amazon cloud machines. You can also use GPUs instead of CPUs now. Mm-hmm. So it's not something you could easily do a few years back, you know. So it's not that machine learning has advanced in the past few years. It's just that, um, you know, the algorithms have been existing for many decades now is just that people are starting to to understand and to implement them using their data thanks to the services that providers that such as Amazon or Microsoft are now offering with their mm-hmm. with their cloud services. So yeah. even Google is currently making progress with their technologies because they now have the computers and the capacity of calculating what they couldn't before, you know. So even though they had the the algorithms ready, uh they couldn't actually compute what they wanted to because they didn't have the, the capacity, I would say. So mm-hmm. it's kind of the, the magic of hardware innovation. Um, right. And it will constantly improve. So not only with the, with the upcoming and uh, constant improvement with the, I mean, the uh, innovation with the quantum computers, for example. Mm-hmm. 
that's cool and then looking forward to the future then what do you see for the future of machine learning or ai in regards to esg investing and the further investment space so as i was saying before so machine learning is um massive buzzword mm. so uh, at the moment if you go to a quantitative finance conference uh, there is no way you can avoid hearing the terms uh, machine learning, AI, or natural language processing. Mm-hmm. So I would say most of the people have actually no clue what it is about. Hmm. Uh, so they've just heard that that it's generally a better way to feed the data than simple linear regressions. Um, so then come different categories of investment professionals in regards to, I would say, machine learning. Uh, most of them are clearly using it for marketing purposes. Mm-hmm. So basically to show people uh, they're actually adopting it. Most of the time they're just randomly drawn a portfolio to apply machine learning to. And this is mm-hmm. quite dangerous because you, you shouldn't apply machine learning if it's a pure uh, experiment internally and not adding too much value to investment. So if it's not well implemented and you didn't go through different testing steps and phases will be a time bomb eventually, you know, so yeah. it can work fine on your training set, but could be a complete disaster once it is actually in production. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you don't see a clear utility of adopting machine learning within your investment process, I would say don't, don't risk it. You know, if you do carry out some proper developments and risk assessments, also hire the right people. So I would say 50% uh, finance professionals and 50% uh, data scientists. Mm-hmm. So to, to answer the question clearly, I, I just believe finance, finance professionals will now slowly adopt machine learning algorithms after carrying out proper tests and development. Mm-hmm. As, they know, as they now figured out that they are rushing too much into it, just to say they were innovative enough uh, and that they were offering something their neighbors weren't offering yet, you know. So mm-hmm. machine learning and natural language processing as a whole have a lot of potential in the finance industry. It can bring back, you know, the alpha that many investors have lost in the past few years. Um, so, yeah, those techniques have just been well they just have to be well supervised, you know, by finance professionals and well implemented by the data science uh, professionals that they're hiring, I would say, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's some really interesting points in there about, you know, finance and data basically working together 50-50. That's definitely yeah. something that we can look forward to going forward, yeah. Um, and you touched on marketing there in that past answer, so we just want to find out a little bit about Sensefolio's marketing. Um your, web, your website, for instance, it really excellently breaks down the many different ways your comp- company can produce frameworks and reports with the machine learning tool right at the very heart of your, of your marketing. So when it comes to content marketing, what do you see as the best ways to connect potential investors with your services? Uh, I would say, you know, I, I believe investors see, firstly, ESG data as a way to to filter companies out of their various portfolios. Mm. So whether they are ESG portfolios or not, uh, 
therefore for providing consistent and well-structured ESG data is really key. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need to show investors that your data makes sense, that they are reflecting news and changes on the, on a real-time basis because investors are basically counting on this and they're monitoring their, their portfolio on a near real-time basis. So also you need to show investors that integrating your data has more insights than simply monitoring companies' ESG. Mm-hmm. So adopting ESG data and investing into ESG companies can potentially make portfolios to outperform over the medium to long term. So techniques and algorithms such as uh, deep learning um, have been allowing us to to spot some hidden links between the different variables uh, and topics. So this is the beauty of what uh, techniques such as machine learning are currently offering. You know, the fact that we currently input a lot of information into them and they will be able to spot correlations and relations between certain variables, we would have never guessed uh, there would be any uh, by simply looking at it, uh, even by using a simple you know, linear regression or, or by just looking at the data uh, from a human point of view. Uh, so this is why I actually truly believe in machine learning applications, and this is why it can clearly bring Alpha back to, to finance. Mm-hmm. So, and according to over uh, 300, uh, 300 ESG metrics. So we firstly teach machines how to read reports and texts from over 100,000 sources of, of information using sophisticated machine learning and natural language processing algorithms. Um, so we also aggregate millions of different reports, tweets, uh, employees, company reviews, mm-hmm. as, as well as um, as well as uh, NGO reports. Mm-hmm. Um, so the aim is really to get a final and biased and completely objective view of what companies are doing and how involved they are towards ESG topics. You know? mm-hmm. So we really aim to also find great values, as I was saying before, out of the ESG data in, t- in terms of investments. So we aim to show investors that they really will be better off investing in ethical and sustainable companies. Mm-hmm. We want to bring everything that we've seen in theory and multiple research papers before into actual practice so for the good of every st- stakeholder. Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you, Lasky. Yeah. Um, definitely more of the kind of lighter stuff. Um, quite simply, what, which ESG themes are most popular with investment firms in 2019 have you found? It's quite hard to respond to this, I would say, to be honest, as most uh, investment firms have different ways of adopting ESG, I would say. Uh, You know, asset managers are adapting to the investors' various Mm -hmm. ESG demands, and those demands are actually changing from one country to another, and also from one whole region to another region. So I can tell that Americans, for example, are mostly preoccupied with uh, gender mm-hmm. equality, so notably since the uh, Me Too movement, uh, that's focusing more on the social topics within yeah. companies, whereas Europeans are mostly preoccupied by, uh, I mean, with transparency and governance topics. I feel like they're more prone to read 
ESG uh, and sustainability reports than any other regions. Um, And popular themes in Asia, I would say, are mainly about environment, as they know they're now realizing how polluted certain areas are in in that region. Mm Well, yeah, it's really interesting, you know, the kind of dichotomy between places and even just regions. That's something that we, yeah, but didn't yeah. really know about before. Um, and obviously, that's what you get from yeah. from all your data that you get. It was, you know, awesome. Yeah. Um, so finally, then, um, would you be able to give our listeners any recommendations for anyone that you follow online or read in everyday life that has impacted your professional work? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I'm really into ESG topics, so especially since I've started working in finance. So I always, I've always had the, this Darwinist uh, point of view, which is also applicable to companies themselves. You know, one way to, for them to survive is, uh, is to actually develop their internal technologies and adopt innovation into their culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they also have to start, um, uh, I mean, they, they also start to realize that they also need to be as ethical as possible So and also as transparent as possible if they still want to survive um, because they know adopt, adapting to the new, you know, generation of investors. So we've seen in me- many research notes uh, recently that, Millennials are much more prone to invest in ethical and sustainable companies. And I guess the generations after them uh, will follow the trend and would even take this as, as given. Mm-hmm. So, I've, you know, I've been greatly inspired by uh, John uh, Elkington uh, with his um, uh, concept of the triple bottom line, which is in a way, uh, which in a way greatly triggered um, the whole ESG integration uh, we've seen in the past decade uh, for companies. Uh, but I would say a person that I really try to follow as much as possible is uh, actually Joseph uh, Joseph Stiglitz mm-hmm. uh, with his latest book, for example, named uh, People, uh, Power and Profits, in which he, he really digs into how a few corporations have come to to dominate entire sectors, and uh, they also increased inequality and also contributed to um, a sluggish growth uh, because of too much power to a few corporations. Yeah, right. that's awesome. Some really good recommendations. I'll definitely have to check them out for myself. Uh, thanks. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Olivier. Some really amazing points there on a really interesting topic that. Um, we really like talking about here at Cotasis. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me and uh, uh, hopefully we'll bring some uh, new ideas to potential investors, etc. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you very much.